Well, good morning and again, a very special happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. And I would be remiss if I didn't take just a moment to wish my mother a happy Mother's Day. She is watching with us all the way in central Illinois. So mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you. Can't wait to see you soon. Again, just a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. We know that you have a really, really difficult job and we just love you for all the things that you do and all the things that you do for us. So happy Mother's Day and I hope everyone out there will take a moment today to reach out to mom and spoil her in any way that we can. We know it may look a little bit different here this morning uh, than it has the last few years, but we're still gonna do our best to honor mothers today. Can't wait to have all of you guys back here in the auditorium. I know one of the things that we love to do on Mother's Day is to attend church together, but I am super thankful that we still have a way that we can all be together through this technology. So welcome again this morning. We're happy to have you with us. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our series on building an intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, this is something we've been unpacking for the last couple of weeks. Because it's such an important concept and it's such an important thing, it, we wouldn't have given this justice with just one or two. So we're going to wrap up our series on building an intimate relationship with Jesus here this morning by talking about love. And I think Mother's Day is the perfect time to talk about love because we know that our moms and our dads love us very much and we know that God loves us very much. But what we're going to look at this morning is, do we truly love God and what does that look like? So I'm really excited to bring this message to you this morning. I hope you're excited to, to hear it. So grab your Bibles, get your family together, and let's get started. So let's take just a moment to refresh our memories on what we are talking about when it comes to the definition of intimacy. Because I know that can be kind of a strange word and kind of a word we may not be comfortable with. But the way we're defining intimacy is simply to experience Jesus it means clearing the religious and the other clutter for closeness and joy in Christ. So when we talk about this word intimate, we're talking about that closeness and that joy that only comes from a close relationship with Christ. So that's what we're going to dig into again a little bit this morning. And it's just something that we truly need to unpack because if we don't have that relationship, which we're going to look at some statistics again today that are going to tell us that unfortunately a lot of us don't have that relationship, but how do we get there? Because it is so vitally important for us. So if we continue, the reason that we're looking at this, and, and if you were with us a couple weeks ago, you kind of already know the backstory and the reason, but just to touch on it real briefly, it's easy for people to call themselves Christians but it's a lot less common for people to truly find their identity in Christ. Now, what I mean by that is there's lots of people out there that call themselves Christians. Matter of fact, there's tons of people out there that call themselves Christians. And we looked at the four different categories and three of the four categories actually still call themselves Christians, even though they may not be living a life that backs that up. And we know that only 50% of our habitual churchgoers even have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's why we're continuing to unpack that here this morning. So how do we find that identity in Christ? Well, we do that when we truly love God and when our actions back up the fact that we truly love God. Because it's really easy to say, well, yeah, of course I love God, but are we living a life? Are we showing actions? Are we walking daily in a manner that backs that up and that shows in that? And that's what we're gonna unpack as we go forward this morning. So. With everything that's going on in the world right now, inoculations is a big word that seems to be coming to light. And if you're not familiar with that word, it simply means, it, excuse me, in medical terms, it means exposing someone to a virus so that the cells produce a natural antibody to guard against full exposure. 
So we think of this when we think of getting things like the flu shot, for example, and that's where they introduce a little bit of the flu virus and your body builds up an immunity to that so that you don't get the full virus. Studies show that this may be exactly what's happening to Christians today is a lot of us grew up in the church, which is great. That's fantastic that we had mothers and fathers who made church a priority for us and made sure that we were in the building every time the doors were open and kind of kept us on track and kept us down that road. But what's happening is, is we're actually building up an immunity to that. See, we're not taking ownership of our faith. We're not making our faith our own. It's our parents' faith or our church's faith or someone else's faith, and it's not truly our own because we're not building that relationship. Yeah, we're going through the motions and we go to church and we go to Bible study and we pray before our meals, but do we truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And that's exactly what we've been talking about. It's almost like we're starting to become immune to that because we're so used to going through the motions and checking the boxes that we're never taking it to that deeper, deeper step. And that, that just, this all kind of comes to light right now because, you know, we have this pandemic that's going on and they're talking about coming up with a, with a vaccine or inoculations or whatever you want to call it. But what a great time to think about, is that exactly what's happened to us? Have we become so complacent in our faith? Have we got so used to going through the motions that we've forgotten the most important part and that's the relationship that we need to have to truly be a Christian? and not just call ourselves a Christian. So here's, the, here's the, the study that we've been looking at. And you can look up this study online if you'd like, or you can email me, and I'd be happy to send you over a copy of this survey. But again, this is the reason that we're talking about this series, because we've been looking at the four different groups of people, right? And these are people who grew up in the church. 50% of them, of the people that went to that are habitual churchgoers, never built that relationship with Jesus Christ. And even if you look at the resilient disciples, as you, as, you, as you start to follow that survey down lower in the chart, unfortunately, you see those numbers drop all the way from 91% all the way down to 64%. So even the resilient disciples, which is only 10% of the people that call themselves Christians, are still struggling with things like prayer. And prayer is one of the major ways that we build that relationship. That's how we get to talk to Jesus Christ. And even our resilient disciples are struggling with that. And again, I show you this not because you haven't seen it before, but because I want to just reinforce the reason that this is so important. Because again, this study was done on younger folks, but I would almost promise you if we expanded this study out to all the different age groups, you're going to see this same statistics are going to play out as we go forward. And we've got to stop that statistic. We've got to take that 10% that's the resilient disciples, and we've got to build that out and make it 20% and 30% and 40% and 50%. But if we don't actively do something, if we don't start playing offense, we're not going to make that happen. And that's why I think this series is so important for us, because we've got to build not just disciples, but we've got to build resilient disciples. So again, about half of the habitual churchgoers strongly agree with these very, very straightforward statements. Here's the disturbing part. How are we showing up week after week and year after year and going through the motions and never building that relationship. 
That's a frightening thing to think that 50% are just going through the motions, but never actually having their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why building this truly intimate relationship is so important. Remember, finding a deep joy in Jesus is a whole lot more difficult than simply calling yourself a Christian. It's super easy to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I love God. But are we actively living that out every single day in everything that we say and everything that we do? And that's exactly what we're looking at. We can call ourselves whatever we want. I can call myself a brain surgeon, but that doesn't make me a brain surgeon, right? But when I call myself a Christian, is everything that I'm doing backing that up or has it become just another label or just another term or just another definition? That's exactly what we're talking about. So what could our church look like if God truly raised up a group of people who didn't just go to church and try to be good people, but truly wanted to be that 10% of resilient disciples who have that close, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and are working every day to live that out. And to not only live that out in their own lives, but to share that with other people and to bring other people in. What if the 10% were working every single day to increase that number? And that was our focus. We can do it. God wants to do it. I believe that with all my heart and all my soul, that God wants to do just that. But we've got to do our part because we are the hands and feet. We've got to be the ones out there to not only working on our own relationships, right? Me included, but we've got to be out there trying to help others see Jesus, to try and help others foster that relationship with Jesus Christ that is so vitally important. We, we talked last week about some examples that we used of people who were truly resilient disciples. We talked about Abraham, and we talked about David, and we talked about Paul. But, but are we looking at those examples just as a Bible story? Or are we looking at those examples of, this is what I need to be doing in my life? I need to be like Abraham, and when God says go, I need to go, and when God says stop, I need to stop. Am I like David? Am I truly a man after God's own heart? Now, we're going to fall short, of course, but are we using those as examples? Are we patterning our lives after those people who truly had resilient faith? And are we patterning our lives after Jesus and striving to be like him? Or are we just going through the motions and calling ourselves Christians? See, we truly have to love God. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look at some different stories this morning that are kind of, going to kind of drive this point home for us. But, but do you remember when you were in grade school? And, and do you remember these notes? Because I do. I remember these notes, right? And we, we'd say, do you like me or do you love me? And it was check yes, check no, or check maybe, right? And that's exactly the question that we need to look at this morning is do we truly love God? Not just do we profess it with our mouths, but do we back that up? Do we truly love God? And that's what we're going to look at and what that means this morning. So we're going to look at the story of Peter. So if you have your Bibles handy, you can turn with me to John chapter 21, or I'll have it on the screens for you as well. But, but I love this story, right, of Peter. Now, we know if we back this up a couple of chapters, right, when it comes to Jesus's last day on earth, he tells Peter, basically says, hey, look, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, no, not me, Lord, I wouldn't deny you, right? And if we went back and looked at that story, we know that that's exactly what 
happened. Peter denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. At the end of Jesus' life, Peter is just one example of the fact that people just kind of started to drift off and abandon Jesus. So Peter and some of the other disciples had just gone back to fishing, right? After Jesus died. Instead of doing exactly what he had told them to do, they just kind of said, well, I guess it's over. And we'll go back to our old lives. So Peter went back to being a fisherman, which is what Peter did when Jesus found him in the first place. So we're going to fast forward in our story to chapter 21 in John. And this is where Jesus is actually on the shore cooking breakfast for his disciples, which I love. Because I love the fact that he, he knows they're going to be hungry. So he's, he's cooking them breakfast on the shore. And we know that when we read that story, when Peter sees him, Peter literally jumps out of the boat, right, and starts swimming to shore. Now, probably a lot of things going on in Peter's mind at this point, right? Because Peter knows what he did. And Peter knows that he denied Jesus three times. And just as he had promised, here's Jesus standing on the shore waiting for Peter. And this is the conversation that takes place. So read with me if you would. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. We move forward to verse 17. It says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. It says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And in verse 19, we see the end of the story where he says, Jesus said, to, said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, I think of this interaction that Peter is having with Jesus. And, and, G, and Jesus is asking him face to face, Peter, do you love me? Now, we know, and I'm sure Peter knows, that Jesus knows everything and he can see into our hearts. But he asked him this question over and over and over three times. Now, we assume that he asked him three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. So we're kind of making things right, right? Kind of balancing things out, three for three. But what I wonder when I read this story what would I say to Jesus if Jesus was standing here in front of me right now, face to face, and said, do you love me? Would I be like Peter and say, you know I do. But how would I answer that question? What would I say to Jesus if I had the chance to be face to face with him and he says, hey, Aaron, do you love me? You know I do, Jesus. You know I love you. And then he asked me again. And then he asked me again. Now, I love the fact that each time that Peter says he loves him, Jesus gives him a job to do or basically reminds him, cool, then you need to go out and do my work. Because remember, Peter's sitting there saying, you know I love you, Lord. You know I love you, Lord. But he had gone back to fishing. And Jesus is saying, follow me, feed my sheep. 
do my work. And I just love this story so much, but, but I can't help but think, and I want you to take some time to think this morning, what if Jesus was standing right in front of you and asked if you loved him? How would you answer that question? Because see, Jesus knows what's in your heart. And Jesus knows the things that we do, and he knows the things that we say, no matter where we are or what we're doing. So he's asking this question, do you love me? Do you love me? Would our minds be racing to all the things that we've done that show that we don't love Jesus? Or would we be able to truly stand there with open hands and open heart and say, Jesus, you know I love you. Do you love your spouse? So we're talking about this concept of do we love one another? Now, this would have been really fun if we could have had a full auditorium because I could have just asked this question and got some feedback from you guys. So these are some kind of common questions, right, that we think about when we think about do we truly love our spouse, whether that be husband, wife, whatever the case may be. Do you, put, do you always put them first? Do you put them first above yourself? Is it Facebook official? Now, this one is kind of a joke. But here's the point that I want to make, and here's why I included this one. You know, we, for a long time, and I know Facebook now is kind of us older folks are on Facebook and the younger folks are on Instagram and Snapchat. I get that. But, but for a long time, things didn't really count unless you put them on Facebook, right? If you're in a relationship, was it Facebook official? If you went to the gym, ah, did you check in? Because if you didn't, it didn't count. I say that in joking, but I'm also being serious because our social media says a lot about who we are as a person. If someone didn't know you and simply looked at your Instagram or your Snapchat or your Facebook, what would they see? Would they see somebody that loves their spouse? Would they see somebody that loves God? Or would they see something totally different? based on your Facebook posts or your Instagram posts. So I put that in there as a joke, but it's something I want you to think about as well because we have an opportunity with social media, especially during these times, because a lot of you are watching me on social media right now, we have an opportunity to use that as a platform to share Jesus with others. But are, is that what we're doing with our social media? I don't know. Would you be willing to die for them? Now, th this one gets you right in the heart. Because I, I would die for my wife. I absolutely would. God sent his son to die for me. That's true love. That's what love is all about. It says, do others know how much you love them? Do others know that we love our spouses? I hope that they do. I pray that they do. I hope that we're living our lives in such a way that let our spouses know and everybody else know how much we love our spouses. And then it says, do you treat them as if they are the most important person in the world? Now, these questions are based on your spouse because I want you to think about the relationship that you have with your spouse. But now, I want you to ask these exact same questions, only instead of your spouse, let's add God in. Do you always put God first? Do you put him first before your work, before your hobbies, before anything else in your life, do you truly put God first? Because if you love him just like you love your spouse, then you're putting him first. Is it Facebook official? If I looked at your social media, would I see that you are a Jesus follower, or a Jesus lover, or a God lover, 
or would I see something different? Would you be willing to die for them? Jesus was willing to die for us out of true, unconditional love. Would we be willing to do the same for him? If it came right down to it, and it probably never will in this country, and I pray that it never will in this country, but if it came right down to it and you had to make that choice between your own life and Jesus, what choice would you make? Do others know how much you love him? Are you leading a life that make others say, wow, that person really loves Jesus? And I, I, I want to know that kind of love and I want to know that kind of relationship. And do we treat him like he is the most important thing in the world? I hope and pray that we do. And I hope and pray that if we're not there, that we can get there. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know I love this verse. I use it all the time. But, but, but it's so powerful. And I love the fact that it says all. It doesn't say love God with part of your heart. It doesn't say love him with a little bit of your soul and just a portion of your mind when it's convenient for you and when you're not too busy with other things. No, it says all. Love him with all of your heart. And that's what I want to spend some time just reflecting on this morning, myself included. Do we truly do that on a daily basis? Are we truly loving him with everything or with just this little piece that we have left over once we're done with everything else that's a priority in our life? Because if we truly love God, he comes first. He's not an afterthought. It wasn't an afterthought when he sent his son to die for our sins. It shouldn't be an afterthought for us to spend time building that relationship with him and studying scripture about him and truly trying to be closer to him. It shouldn't be an afterthought. Well, there's nothing on TV. I guess I'll read my Bible. That's not what he wants. He wants you to love him enough that you want to do those things. It shouldn't be a chore. It should be something we do out of love. Out of love for him, for all the things that he's done for us. We have two options at the end of the day. And at, the, at some point, we're all going to die. That's just the way life goes, right? We are not going to have eternal life. I don't care how far modern medicine goes or how crazy things get in this world. At some point, we are going to die, right? That's just, I'm not trying to bring anybody down. That's just the, the, the facts of the matter. And we're going to hear one of two things. God's going to ask us, did you truly love me? And we're going to give an account for our life and our actions and the things that we've done. And it's going to come down to the fact that did we put him first and did we love him? And we're going to hear one of two things. We're going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he's going to welcome us into heaven with open arms. And we're going to spend an eternity in the most amazing place that you could possibly imagine. Or we're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. Depart from me, you never loved me enough. Depart from me, you never took the time to build an intimate relationship 
with me. But God, I went to church. But, but God, I, I, did my, I did my tithing. But you never had the relationship that he desires to have from us. And you never truly made your life about him because it, I was too busy making it about me. It's a sobering thought. And it's something we don't like to talk about and we don't like to think about. But it's real life. At the end of the day, the Bible makes it very clear that we're going to stand in judgment. And one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to be welcomed into heaven with open arms despite the mistakes that we've made, or we're not. If we truly love him and we put him first in everything that we do, then we get option one and we get to go to heaven. And that's the goal. And that's why it's so important for us to build this relationship with him and to be a truly resilient disciple of his so that someday we can obtain that goal. And all of the things that we've done here on earth and all of the stresses and all of the heartaches and all of the pain go away. And we get to spend an eternity worshiping God. Let's look at another piece of scripture. And this is going to come from Matthew chapter 10, verses 21. And this is a tough this is a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people. And this is, a, this is a tough scripture that we have to kind of wrestle with sometimes. Because what happens when your family turns away from Jesus? What happens when your friends turn away from Jesus? Your love for God and your love for Jesus is going to be tested in those situations. But Matthew chapter 10, verses 21 says, brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his children, or his child, excuse me, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. It's reminding us that our relationship with God takes priority over everything, including our families. You know, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked, and I think this is exactly what it's talking about. Right? Because if a Christian marries someone who's not a Christian, it causes conflict and it can be very challenging and it can be very difficult, right? Because you got to choose sides and you got to choose between God and your family. So hopefully we're not in that situation and we're in a situation where we're all working towards the same things. But what if? What if your family and those people closest to you say, you know what, I think I'm done with this Jesus thing. I just don't think I want to do it anymore. I'd rather sleep in on Sunday mornings or go play golf. I don't need church anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. If we have a truly intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and we're truly a resilient disciple, then we're going to be able to say, okay, that's your choice, but I'm going to stay the course. Because like we just talked about, one of two things is going to happen at the end of my life and I got to make sure that I get option number one. And that makes it challenging. It's easy to love him in groups. It's easy to love God when we're here at church, or in this case, in our virtual space at church. It's easy to love God when we're at our youth group. It's easy to love God when we're in our small groups. It's easy to love God when we're surrounded by believers. But it's not so easy to love God when we're home alone, when we're at school, or when we're at work. 
Because chances are when you're at school and when you're at work, you're surrounded by non-believers. And that's just the way it is. There, you can't put yourself in a bubble. There's no Christian bubble where I say, you know what? I'm just going to surround myself with Christians and everywhere I go is going to be Christians. I'm never going to be tempted and I'm never going to have to question my relationship with Jesus because life is perfect. It just doesn't work that way. Because we have to go out into the world every day and we have to go to work and we have to go to school and we're surrounded by temptations everywhere that we go and they're on our phones and they're on our TVs and they're on our computers. This is why we have to have that relationship with God that allows us to stay strong when we encounter these difficult situations because they're going to be there. We can't shelter ourselves from those. We can't shelter our kids from those. But what we can do is make sure that our relationship with Jesus is so strong that when we go out into the world and we're tempted or we're surrounded by those who are not Christians, we are able to withstand those temptations. See, we have a Lord and Savior who was tempted just as we are. He understands what we're going through because he was tempted as well. The devil himself tempted Jesus and he stood firm and stood strong so he understands what we're going to go through. But see, we've got to truly love God everywhere we go and in everything that we do, because if our actions don't back that up, then we're not truly telling God that I love you. We're telling God, I love you when it's convenient. I love you when it's convenient. I love you when I'm at church, and I love you when I'm at youth group, and I love you when I'm with my small group, but the rest of the time, I'm kind of busy. I don't have time for that. He certainly makes time for us. We've got to make time to truly love him and make sure that our actions back that up. Some of you may be familiar with a movie. It came out a while back. It's kind of an older Christian movie now, but a lot of churches showed it, and it's a very common movie. It's called Fireproof. And it was all about a guy who was a captain on the fire department and his relationship with his wife and some things that he was struggling with with his wife. We all go through it. We all have struggles. Anybody that tells you that, that their marriage is always a bed of roses, quite frankly, they're lying to you, um, but that's okay. Or they're in denial, one of the two. Um, we all go through struggles. That's just the way relationships work. You're going to have struggles, but you have to overcome those. So that's what this movie was all about. And it was a 40-day challenge where for each day of 40 days, they were given a task or something to do with or for their spouse to help solidify that relationship. And they made a pledge to do this because they wanted to work on their relationships with their spouses. Now, day five was ask your spouse to tell you three things that cause him or her to be uncomfortable or irritated with you. Now, let me just tell you right now, that's a loaded gun. I asked my wife that question. She had a list about this long. But here's my point. When we truly know the things that we do that cause our spouses to be uncomfortable or annoyed with us or upset with us, then we can start to work on those things then we can start to truly try to overcome those things to improve our relationships with our spouse. Now, do you get where I'm going with this? If we know the things that annoy God, 
Shouldn't we be doing everything we can to avoid those things, to work on our relationship with God? And you say, well, what are those things? Well, we've got a whole Bible full of those things. He, he makes it very clear to us the things that He loves and the things that He hates. But are we still doing those things even though we know that it's not what God wants for our lives? Because if we are, then we're not doing our part to work on the relationship. See, when you ask these questions like they asked in the love dare, it's not to, to cause hurt and to cause rift. It's, hey, if I know what I'm doing wrong, then I can start to work on those things and we can improve this relationship. But it's the same thing with God. See, when we continue to sin over and over and over and over and over again, we're not telling God we love Him. But when we make a mistake and we truly repent to Him and we truly ask for forgiveness and we do everything that we can to turn away from that sin, now our actions are saying, God, I love you, but I'm human and I'm making mistakes. And God knows that and He forgives us of those things. It's when we don't truly repent from those things and try to walk away that we're not saying, God, I love you. We're saying, God, I love this sin more than I love you. We've got to try to turn away from those things because that's when our actions back up our words. That's when we're not just professing that we love God. We are showing God every day that we love Him. Because God, I'm trying every day to be closer to You. And I'm trying to follow You every day. And yes, I fall short on a daily basis. But I'm trying to do better. And I'm trying to be closer to You. He knows our hearts. He knows what's on our hearts. And He knows when we're truly trying to love Him better. Let's look at Psalms chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. And this is David, and it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I always say, be careful what you pray for. Be careful about things like praying for patience because God will put you in situations that are really going to test your patience. But are we willing to pray this prayer? Are we willing to take this verse and make this our prayer to God? Are we willing to say, God, search my heart and search my mind and tell me what it is that I do that you don't like. Tell me what it is that I do that drive you crazy. That's a tough prayer. But what would God answer to us? What are the things in our lives that we are still doing that we know we shouldn't be doing? What are the things in our lives that we do that is not what God would have us to do? What are the choices that we make that are not the choices that God wants us to make? See, this is a very introspective thing that we have to do with ourselves. Just like a relationship, it takes work from both sides. And you got to make sacrifices. 
It's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got to make sacrifices sometimes. Sure, I'd love to sleep till noon on Sundays, but you know what? It's not in the cards. And it's not the decision that God would want me to make. So when I make that decision and I say, you know what? I'm not going to do church today because eh, I'd just rather sleep. We're basically saying to God, I don't love you enough to do what you would have me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. Now, we're in a cool space right now with, with technology to where if we miss the Sunday morning service because of work or whatever the case may be, is we can go back and watch that, which is fantastic. But do we do that? Are we willing to take that time to say, God, you're the most important thing in my life? Are we willing to pray the prayer that David prayed and say, God, honestly, take a look at me, take a look at my life. What are the things that I'm doing? And that's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to take some time to think about what are the things that I'm doing that are not saying to God, God, I love you. They're saying just the opposite. That God, I love you, but. Or God, I don't love you enough to give up X, Y, and Z. We've got to look at do we truly love him? John chapter 14, verse 5 says exactly what we've been talking about. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. Because see, if we truly love God, we want to do the things that make him happy. I love my wife. She's very easy to please. She loves Fountain Diet Coke. All I have to do is go to McDonald's or go to the gas station, which the gas stations aren't even serving fountain drinks right now. But it's little things like that. But see, I want to do that because I love her and I want to make her happy. When we love God, we want to do the things that are pleasing and acceptable in His sight. And when we truly love Him, it's easier and easier and easier and easier to do those things. But, but we have to recognize that, and we have to truly want to do the things to make Him happy. But when you love someone, that's what you do. It says when you don't do what He commands, it begins to affect you and you feel guilty. Again, we, we make mistakes. I'm not here pointing fingers. I make mistakes every day. If you ask my wife, she'd probably say more than once a day. But when we do things that are not pleasing to God, it causes us to have guilt and to have shame and to have anxiety when it doesn't need to be there. Because we need to pray to God to ask Him to, to help us change the things in our lives. And he'll do that. And he'll erase those. He sent his son to die on the cross so that we don't have to have guilt and shame and anxiety about the mistakes that we make. As long as we do it with a repentant heart and we reach out to God and we say, God, please help me turn away from these things that I'm doing that I know that you hate. Because I do love you and I'm trying to do the best that I can. And we don't have to have that guilt and that shame. I talk to people all the time about the things that they're dealing with and the things that they're going through. And it breaks my heart to hear Christians say things like, I just don't think God can forgive me. Because he can and he will and he wants to. We just have to be willing to take it to him. To say, God, I love you enough that I want to turn away from these things that I've been doing. If we look at Acts chapter 17, this is verse 26 and 27. It says, 
From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. It said God did this so that they would seek him and that perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. He is not far away from us if we will just reach out to him. If we will just say, God, I love you enough that I want to turn away from those things that I've been doing and I want to truly follow you. Just like the prodigal son, he's there with open arms and that's exactly what he wants us to do. But we have to make the effort on our part to say, God, I love you. And I want to be better today than I was yesterday. This verse reminds us that he's there, he's nearby, but we have to reach out to him. He's not far from us. No matter what we do, we can't make God stop loving us. And we need to remember that. And we need to reciprocate that with our love to him. Takeaways. I like to always leave you guys with takeaways. Something that you can walk away from this lesson with and hopefully apply to your own life. Experiencing Jesus means entering into a dynamic relationship with him as the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's the alpha and the omega of building an intimate relationship with him. It starts and it ends with our love. He makes it abundantly clear throughout the Bible that he loves us. And if you, you need to look no further than the fact that he sent his son to die for us. But do we love him as much as he loves us? Because just like any relationship, it doesn't work if both parties aren't on the same page and both parties aren't in it for the long haul. We know that God's in it for the long haul for us. We've got to be in it for the long haul for him. In just a moment, we are going to have another song. And if you're in need of prayer, if maybe you haven't loved God the way you want to, if maybe you haven't been able to turn away from those things that are weighting you down, those things that are making you feel anxious and guilty and shameful, we have an opportunity that we're here to pray for you. You can reach out to us personally. You can also reach out on our app. There's a place to put uh, private and confidential prayer requests. Or maybe you haven't had a chance to give your life to Christ in baptism to be baptized for the remission of sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We can have ourselves a social distancing baptism and we can take care of that for you today. So if we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out to us through any of our mediums as we sing this next song. Let God arise, let God arise. Our God reigns now and forever. He reigns now and forever. God who saves, our God is a God who saves, our God is a God who saves, our God is a God who saves, let God arise, let God arise. Forever, he reigns now and forever. Oh.
Well, again, thank you so much for joining us here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. And again, one last time, I want to wish all of the mothers out there a very happy Mother's Day. And let me go ahead and end us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we still had to come together as a church family, wherever we may be, to just spend some time focusing on you. Heavenly Father, we help us. We ask that you would help us to remember that you love us so much and help us to build that love that we have for you and continue to focus on our love for you and help us to truly turn away from those things in our lives that don't back up the fact that we love you. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'd be with our church family wherever they may be. Help to keep them safe. Help to keep them healthy and just continue to bless them. And most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for watching and we will see you next week. Lord, the light of your love is shining In the midst of the darkness shining Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us Set us free by the truth you now bring us Shine on me See you.